Yeah, I got all kinds of had a fun time in France. I want to talk about it. Talk about. I don't want to listen. T- nope. Should we say Appalachian or should we say Appalachian? <laughs> you should do that huh. the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> my grunts, my grunts are now. Huh. <laughs> That is like the worst <laughs> Warner Brothers cartoon voice I've ever heard. Are you drinking a glass of milk? It's like milk. But it has bourbon in it. <laughs> Did I convert him over to bourbon cream? But I'm glad you pointed this out because I wanted to, I wanted a big big call out for the uh, orphan girl. Uh, <gasps> provided by John and Courtney. <laughs> uh, they mailed it to me. It arrived the day I left for France. And it sat in a hot New Orleans sun. For two weeks. <laughs> I felt like that was the best way to drink it, was to put it in the hot New Orleans sun. God. And then, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm now drinking, uh, I'm drinking bourbon cream. Orphan Girl bourbon cream. It's, it's, it's actually pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say I'm going to chug a pint of it, but. Um, but you will. It is quite lovely. That's what yeah, I'm saying. It's, it's good. It's just. So. So is this your not-so-subtle way of saying, Brian, you're so right? No, no, no. I'm not saying that, and I'm not subtle. I've been called many things in my life. Subtle <laughs> has never been one of them. Right? Subtle yeah. is absolutely not one um, of them. Yeah. What is it? I think it's like 17% or something like that. I don't know what a bourbon cream is supposed to what a bourbon cream what a, what a traditional bourbon cream yeah right i've no so all right so full disclosure you, you mean a traditional montana uh, full, bourbon cream full, no that goes back full disclosure day. this is the only bourbon cream i've ever drank um so it's also it's also the best bourbon cream i've ever had uh i feel like we've just told listener a lot that pretty much everything we've ever talked about is completely unresearched and lacks any kind of forethought or knowledge first off i'm sure listener already knew that second off no one claimed to know anything about bourbon cream you're johnny bourbon cream over there (laughs) (laughs) and i will fucking wear that crown happily and proudly yeah i mean i'm I'm really glad i think that we gotta have courtney on at some point and she can tell me the details about this thing that i'm drinking Oh yeah, she's gonna she's gonna actually drive over to Spokane, and we're gonna sit down, and then all of us can record. And I'm very very thrilled for that. Oh nice, nice. It was, but in a, in all honesty though, one I do like it, which kind of makes me hate myself. Um, As it should. And two, it was really really sweet of them to send that. They sent me two bottles, an orphan girl, and then a bunch of swag. And uh, I hate the word swag. But yeah, you used it with no, such confidence. You gotta, you gotta say it in French, though. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even do that. It's just like so, so lazy and like I'm an artist. Ugh. Ugh, swear. But no, it was really sweet of them, and they wrote me like a nice little note, and it was great. It was like one bottle for me to have and one bottle to share. So I gave the other bottle to Gordon, and he was very tickled. Now I have a mental image of you just tickling him. <laughs> yeah. I also want to, so like, you know, to summarize France, I'm not going to summarize, I'll talk about it a bunch because it was a great time and I saw a lot of cool things, but I, I was talking to Gordon, I like texted him at one point, I'm like, yeah, man, I hate Americans. And he said, yeah, they're, fuck, I want to say exactly what his quote was because it was funny. Oh, okay, so, so, so this is... <laughs> 
this is Gordon. And, you know, he's like, uh, there are wankers in France too, right? Because I wouldn't use that's what the word I couldn't remember is wankers. So he said, there's wankers in France too, just less of them, and their bread is better. That is true. Which I summarized. I'm yeah. like, that's a good summary. Yeah, there's wankers there too, but the bread is much better. Okay. Uh, the bread is significantly better. Also, the cheese and most of the food. Now, in in kilograms, how much cheese did you eat? Oh my god! Whoa, whoa! He's back in the states now. Oof. We're not using any fucking kilograms. <laughs> <laughs> a ton of cheese. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty good segue. I like it. All right, this is the Still Talking Podcast, our reverent industry podcast with Colton, Brian, and Zeno. Zeno's back. I'm very excited. I missed you. In your dark basement now. I like that you just went like, you don't want us to see it, so you just make it darkness, <laughs> which is even more terrifying. That's what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> Colton still has the traditional egg carton. My, I'm in a pitch black basement. I just have one. <laughs> like a creepy campfire story. That's so perfect for what we're Cause, doing. Yeah. Cause, Cause, you need to know that I live in an egg carton. <laughs> uh, well, I've got some wonderful news and information for you guys this episode, and by that I mean news and information. Yeah, we are sharing news and information. You know, have you ever heard of it? We should do a segment where we just do news, just all the news, all the time. Just all the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah but not like our news, just like other news, like fashion news. I hear the Met Gala had like a very Hunger Games esque. Um, uh, evening, which was terrifying to watch. Well, there's there's a lot of stuff about abortion rights and global warming going on right now. We could talk about. We would that. get so many downloads. <laughs> that is why. Shit <laughs> just got edgy at the Still Talking podcast. <laughs> yeah, like three middle aged white guys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we have a lot people want to listen to. Like all my abortions in plastic. Oh God. So, moving on to news and information. Uh, one of the things I wasn't able to get to last week was a was another discus uh, update. This one in regards to New York. Uh, apparently, the Distilled Spirits Council has released a statement on New York Mayor Bill de Blasio's action to ban alcohol advertising. So, yeah, what? apparently... the. What an a-hole. The mayor's decision to ban alcohol advertising is misguided and unsupported by the scientific research. This is from Discus. The research is clear. Parents and other adults are the most influential factors in a youth's decision whether or not to drink alcohol, not advertising. And then it goes on to say stuff like New York underage drinking has declined by more than 35% over the last 10 years and binge drinking it is an all-time low. Uh, but essentially, New York mayor has uh, decided to ban alcohol advertising, which I can, you know, I can see is a bit of an issue. What do you guys think on that? We should have known when they were coming. <laughs> the fact that they... I mean, New York, New York, it's not like that's going to affect anything. <laughs> right? <laughs> they don't do any advertising in New York. <laughs> on the flip side of that, they've uh, there's actually been some overturn bans on alcohol advertising, <clears throat> specifically on public transit within uh, other cities, such as in December 2018, Baltimore City, uh, which in what other? Oh God, I'm totally messing this up. Uh, apparently, they were one of the first municipalities to enact an outdoor alcohol advertising ban 94. But in 2018, they actually joined a number of cities in shrinking down those prohibitions on alcohol advertising. 
uh, and there's been others, Charlotte, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Boston have all repealed their public transit alcohol advertising bans. So there's a few going one way and New York's going the other. So worth noting. So what do you think, what do you think the percent of craft advertisements versus... Negative 17. Versus big boys. Yeah, so if anything, this is a boon for us. Yeah, I mean, in terms of a craft company competing on an advertising front with Diageo, it's not competition at all. So (laughs) essentially, you're right. It does almost nothing to a craft organization. I guess it would really come down to the nitty-gritty of... Uh, how restrictive is it? Is it just in public transportation areas? Then, yeah, I don't think it's an issue. But if it's stopping... I think that... We can't think of it like that, though, Colton, because if if you're saying, okay, great, if we can't, if we can't touch the advertisement reach that a Diageo can touch, then it's great that there's nothing, but I don't think so, because at least if you have something out there, that's one extra person that sees it, Right. It's just one, it's like one other weapon that you don't have. And you actually bring up a really interesting point. If you're not going to beat Diageo, you're not going to beat Diageo anyways. But like, if you're going to beat them, you're not going to beat them because you advertise more than them or that they can't advertise, right? And actually, you bring up a good point too, that (laughs) it's not just say Diageo versus everyone else. This is the mindshare of alcohol beverage. So this is beer versus wine versus alcohol, you know, whiskey. So if Diageo is at least advertising for whiskey, it's getting in the consumer public mind that, oh yeah, okay, well this this is a benefit to craft people as opposed to competing with, say, Anheuser-Busch InBev. So there is an interesting kind of, you could make the argument that any kind of alcohol advertising, when it's done respectably and responsibly, is not necessarily a negative to I And mean, I don't think that craft really has, they're not doing a ton of advertising I mean, what do you do? A billboard here? Like, I mean, what does what does Corsair do? I don't even know. Uh, we we have one of our distillers on a podcast, occasionally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd like to listen to this podcast. Can you recommend it? To I'm actually really interested. Yeah. <laughs> do they do it weekly? <laughs> do they utilize social media? Well, they've started since they've uh, partnered with High Proof Creative. Ah. Uh, High Proof Creative. That was a really good choice on their part. I bet you they could help you advertise. High Proof Creative can help you advertise in New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, what does that contain? Like, what does that, what does it restrict you to, Brian? Like, is that you can't have a billboard, you can't have it on a bus, you can't have a banner ad on a website for children's robots? Yeah, I don't have any specific details, and that was a really good question, which completely pokes a hole in my ability to research and provide you any accurate information. <laughs> so thanks for that, you complete asshole. I literally just have a press release in front of me. So now, in the news and information section, I'm actually going to have to anticipate your questions and look into things. So well, fuck you very much. Well, you know. Yeah, I don't think we have to be worried until they come after social media, alcohol, bands. I still think it's weird. It's like, what? what is that? Ba- is he based it on... What it sounds like, it's based on adolescence drinking, right? Like underage drinking. They're trying to reduce that. I mean, yeah, they're trying to reduce, yeah, reduce children's, I guess, not access but visibility. I can tell you this much, man. I drank like Iron City and Beast Ice when I was a young teen, and let me tell you, look at you now. It wasn't a fucking billboard that made me do that. All right, right. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it's, I mean, it's a politics thing. I think we can, most rational people can look at that and realize that it's not really going to do anything to curb underage drinking. And again, as, you know, give discus credit, the research does point out that underage drinking as a whole is on, you know, a downward spiral, which I think right. is a good thing. That is a good thing. That was a good, I think that people are just more cognizant of it. They're more responsible as in, I, don't, I mean, kids are going to drink, Right. It's yeah. you have to. I don't condone that. You shouldn't be underage drinking. There's a reason, like because people aren't responsible as adults when they drink. So kids mm-hmm. have that stacked against them as it is. But I think that people are more realistic about it. That instead of, you know, they're not going to provide it for them, but they're also not going to uh, shove it in. Their yeah, it, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I think that I'm trying to say is that. It's not as risque as it once was, right? Right. I think right. me drinking a Beast Ice in the woods. I don't know. Do kids still drink Beast Ice in the woods? I don't know. <laughs> I think they've moved on to classier things like Mad Dog 2020. I also drank that. Yeah, but that's Amazing. like high end. Yeah. Boons. Yeah. Boons was those a classy. Fancy nights. Yeah. The blue. The blue Bad Dog 2020. Oh, <laughs> nothing finer. We've set a great example for the youth and really aged the fuck out of ourselves. No, you shouldn't. If you're drinking like that, you're drinking for effect, which I'm always like, I, you know, I don't know if I've even said it on this show or what. I hate being drunk. I love drinking, hate being drunk. So, I mean, when you're drinking at that age, it's just because you don't know anything about it. You're like, yeah, let's get drunk. That's cool. That's what cool people do. Well, not really. That's what homeless people do. I feel like I shouldn't say that. Uh, but yet it's been said. Say very weirdly. Yeah. I immediately said, said that, and I was like, well, that's out of my mouth. Yeah. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of highlighting that we are not for underage drinking. Responsible drink is really important, which segues into the next great industry piece of information, a one-of-a-kind champagne vending machine and augmented reality photo booth. What? Which completely, completely <laughs> negates all of the things we were saying about why underage drinking is bad. So, um, yeah, apparently there's a company which I actually won't identify uh, because it's not something I necessarily think we should be um, uh, advocating for. But they are doing what they're pushing as kind of an innovative it's just an innovative marketing campaign. It sounds like they're putting it in popular bars, parties, sporting events, uh, and essentially it's champagne in a vending machine where they've also included facial recognition, augmented reality, and a photo booth, which just sounds fucking terrifying. So what, the, it takes a picture of you while you're pushing the button? Yeah, yeah. It's apparently got uh, web-based facial recognition, augmented reality, uh, in, included in the dispenser. So basically you're using it as a photo booth, but then it also ties in with your social media because it's got facial recognition, which, yeah, I don't know. That's some that weird... seems That seems a bit invasive. It's like Minority Report. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah. of, where yeah. they're like trying to sell you stuff yeah. and yelling at you as you walk away. I'm going to have to have like a spider take out my eyeballs. Um, Good callback. <laughs> right, That happens in that movie, something like that. Yeah, I don't think that happens at all. I think there is a scene where his <laughs> eyeballs are taken out and replaced with other eyeballs, but I don't recall. I think a spider. Was it a spider that A did spider it? was. There was like a spider drone. You know what? We're going to go down a weird rabbit hole. I'm it, a, it must have been a dream I had. Um, <laughs> that seems pretty invasive. And you keep saying this phrase, augmented reality. 
What exactly does that mean? <laughs> right, yeah. Because, like, it's... if you're telling me they're going to take a picture of me and I get a champagne and, like, I get to play video games in virtual reality, because that's what's in my head. That sounds fucking great. I think it's their version of basically chain. They probably have, like, different background tiles that they can throw up there. It's a very loose usage of the word augmented reality, which is essentially any marketing company's new favorite terminology. It's like uh, they're going to put dog ears on my head. Should we be using it? What's that? Should we be using this term? Augmented Augmented. reality? I don't think we should be using any terms ever. (laughs) Yeah. But here we are. (laughs) All right. I don't want to spend any more time on that one because that was... I just knew you guys would get a kick of it of how ridiculous no, that was. No, we have to... Oh, we, you, have, you, we need more? We have, we have to make it that nonsensical because it's that nonsensical, right? It really it's is. It's insane. It really is. It, yeah, it's an incredibly pricey piece of marketing. I don't see any other way because, again, you, you, you have... Okay, you're going to put it in a bar, which ideally they're going to sell stuff at a bar anyway, but then you have to then hire a company to come in, restock this thing. I imagine one of the ways they're trying to utilize this, and it's kind of genius from a long-term perspective, this really helps them with data and analytics. So if it's tied to social media and it has facial recognition, which again is super creepy, but you're basically capturing every piece of data about these clients who are buying this product. So you can identify when they're buying it, how old they are, where they're at, all their friends lists. I mean, I, I mean, the information they can get from social media is pretty comprehensive. So then they can turn around and either use this for their own marketing and sales analytics or just resell the information. Sell it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure that they're doing this. So, you know, when you send your cease and desists, there's not a lot for us to desist because we don't know. Wild, completely insane <laughs> accusations on our part. But that's my... Mining your personal debt. Joke's on them. I'm just in for the vending machine champagne. Like, <laughs> go ahead. Why don't you look at my Facebook from like 15 years ago? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to take someone's presidential run 15 years from now. It's like, oh, you bought champagne from a vending machine at a dive bar? Yeah, no, you're not getting my vote. Or you are getting my vote. I mean, it's a crazy world. Yeah. Touche. All right. The last one I thought you guys would be interested in, and I know Rob Masters will appreciate because we'll probably butcher this and he'll have to text us and tell us how we fucked it up. And he's probably right. Uh, But the TTB issues industry circulation on formulas containing ingredients derived from hemp in response to the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, This was on April 25th, 2019. The TTB published uh, their TTB industry circular about hemp ingredients and alcohol beverage formulas. Since the Agriculture Improvement Act of 2018, the 2018 Farm Bill, excluded hemp from the definition of marijuana under the Controlled Substances Act, that's the CSA, we have received many inquiries from the industry members about whether whether they may produce alcohol beverages containing ingredients derived from hemp, such as CBD. After consultation with the FDA, we have determined that at this time, we will uh, return for correction any formulas with ingredients derived from hemp, other, other than ingredients derived from hemp seed or hemp seed oil. Applicants have the option to resubmit the formula upon receipt of a favorable individual determination from the FDA on the regulatory status of their ingredients. So essentially, my reading of this is they're kicking it over to the FDA. If you can get an FDA approval on it, then you can resubmit it. Man, if you can get FDA approval, you can do anything. Yeah, which is essentially why they're kicking it back to the <laughs> FDA. Didn't, uh, didn't uh, 
what's the Oregon, um, the ryegrass? Didn't he have to go through FDA? Yes. Yeah, yeah for yeah, because if it was grass, the yeah. Well, I mean, so what do you you guys have to deal with the FDA on certain situations? Uh, what is it mo- what do most distillers have? What is their interaction yeah, we, with the we FDA? Deal, we deal with uh, the USDA. The USDA, okay. I'm sure some, like, I would say you probably end up having to deal with it. Maybe if you're doing some super... Yeah, it depends on what it is. R- RTD thing, or but just general manufacturing of spirits is USDA, mostly. Right. Now, I say that, but I, I'm not 100% confident. <laughs> but it did just come out of my mouth. The <laughs> subtitle of every episode of Still Talking. We said this. We're not confident about it, but it did just come out of our mouths. Um, I think it kind of depends. Yeah, I mean, Chris is like with that Oregon ryegrass spirits or spiritopia with the ryegrass thing. That is an outlier. I guess with CBD and stuff, are people is hemp ever advertised as having medical? Properties. Only on bus on school buses. Yeah. In New York, in New York City. City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, we're just getting hammered by the government. <laughs> the news this no, week brought I mean, to you by the government. <laughs> the government. You know, and the key thing here too, one of the, the the sentences that jumps out to me is it's upon receipt of a favorable individual determination from the FDA. So essentially every single individual distillery needs to get an individual determination. This isn't a situation where we're looking at one company kind of, you know, push, pushing it over the, uh, the finish line. And then we all get to go ahead and get our determination. Each individual formula is going to have to get approved. So that should be interesting. And if anyone is out there currently utilizing CBD in their products, you know, it'd be interesting to have a conversation with you and kind of see what, what this does to you and what you're currently producing. Listener who is or maybe not doing that. And Dead Space. This Dead Space. As I send you a text to try and avoid that. You realize you could just, you could just say it on here. We, you know, this isn't I was, live. I was yeah. trying to minimize the edit. I was trying to work within the scope of trying to improve our overall production flow. I even have a goddamn spreadsheet of what the segments look like, so fuck you very much. You have a spreadsheet that says news, other stuff, final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, dude. It has four cells filled out with really valuable information. It's A, B, and C, one. (laughs) Are full. But that shit is bold, and it's 14 font. And it took me all day to do, you guys. I'm really feeling undervalued. (laughs) All right, that's all the news and information I have for you, assholes. This news and information segment was brought to you by our friends at G&D Chillers. Cool. <laughs> I didn't have any. They're cool making puns to They're making the show. news cool. <laughs> oh yeah. This is why we need you, Zeno. They're keeping it chill when it comes to news. Uh, thank you to our when sponsors. When you want to con- when you want to condense information and use it <laughs> to keep your product fresh. <laughs> Are we talking about a zip You go to G and D chill. 
We're uh, real bad at these. That's back to the whole global warming, plastic, <laughs> oh, ruining the earth tonight. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ziploc bags. You, you mean sea turtle hats. You mean sea turtle hats. That's what I call Ziploc bags, though. They look so adorable. Come on, you guys. Yeah, it's like their party hat. <laughs> the um, world's most depressing party hat. Uh, Which segues into our talk about French things. French things. So while I was in beautiful Rochester, New York, you went to fucking France, which is just... I did not... We'll talk about that. I did not eat a garbage plate in France. So... Yeah. Well, that's on you. Yeah. Did you eat a garbage plate? You know, I didn't. I had about 18 people tell me I needed to go have a garbage plate, and I've had one in my life. And that about summed it up. What places were they telling Basically, you all these pretty horrific 24-hour diners that have security standing out yeah. front. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, the, yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah, I mean, I, it's a Rochester staple, and I have, you know, I'm not disparaging it by any means. When I had it, like, three years ago, it hit the spot. It was fantastic, and I'm still burning off those calories, so. It just doesn't sit well with your... In your stomach with your normal yeah Northwest yeah of, of dandelions and <laughs> venison i don't know what a pacific northwest person would normally eat. sawdust and <laughs> grass <laughs> you're just like organically harvested yeah. truffles Ugh, that's not even that yeah, far that from the truth where i live yeah. no that was that was too yeah. close to home man yeah. i'm not cool with any of this which is why i hate that show portlandia i'm like yeah i lived in oregon for like four years I hate Is that show. Is there anything Portland. more painfully close to reality than every segment on that show? I fucking hate it. I hate that show because I'm like, no, this isn't an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is, That's why I, it's a fucking documentary. I, I, dead on. It is. I can't watch The Office because it is so painfully close to my like 11 years at an office in the in a video production studio that was for the working for the funeral industry. And our office was essentially just like that in so many awkward, painful ways. It just I cringe every time Michael Scott opens his mouth because I'm having flashbacks. All right. So you were obviously Creed. Yes, absolutely. I am. Yeah, I, I have no idea how I got there. I'm still not sure why I wasn't fired, and I may or may not be a serial killer. So yes, I'm Creed in the office. Uh, all right, let's get back on our non-topic topic. Um, so yeah, I, I went to France. Yes. Um, it was great. I saw a lot of very beautiful things. I think what kind of how was the uh, how was the church? You're gonna to have to be more specific. I went to like 17 fucking churches. The one, the one that burned. Huh? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, Notre Dame. The one that <laughs> yeah. Do, wait, wait, wait. Do we know what your time frame was? When were you there exactly? Yeah. Uh, after it was burned. <laughs> I have photographic evidence. I'll tell you what. Okay. You know what was really crazy about that is so we went there because I flew into Paris pretty early. Or that was the first. I mean, I flew into Paris and I spent like three or four days there before I went off to Normandy region, and. uh we went to Notre Dame, and what was crazy is that, first off, there's a lot of security with heavy artillery. Sure. And then second off, there was a fuck ton of people, but you could hear a pin drop. And it was, creepy. I haven't really been in that kind of element very often. It was really weird. Like, people were moving around and walking all around Notre Dame, and it was quiet. So, uh, yeah, so there's that. That's not fun to talk about, though. Um, 
I want to talk yeah, about. Way to set the tone. I want to talk about what I drank there, um, which yes. which was Jeez. I did drink Jeez. cheese and baguettes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was mainly since I spent so much time in Normandy. It was Normandy. It was uh, mainly apple things. So I drank a lot of cider, and even more Calvados, and then a little bit of Palmo. But I also, the only other thing I really drank in France, which I drank a lot of wine too, but uh, the only other thing that I drank in France was gin. Because gin's fucking crazy there. I went to like two gin-specific places that blew my fucking mind. It was like the best gin collections I've seen. And... With all French, all French? There were some French gin. There was... The only American gins I saw there were uh, Anchors. Uh, yeah, what is it? Junipero or something like that? It's, I can't remember what theirs is called. Sounds- yeah, I don't know. I saw it there, and, and that was in Ca, France, uh, which is in Normandy. And... Yeah, they had the... And they all loved, like, the, their gin and tonics... They love their gin and tonics, and they love their gin. And I was like, well, this is odd. I did not... I just didn't expect gin, right? Um, But then what was cool about... Like, I traveled through the Normandy region. I, like, went to a couple producers. And, like, some were obviously more developed. And other ones were... It was, like, a shack on a farm. And they had the... You know, Nicole wants to retire and be a mobile distiller. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, every distiller ever wants to do that as their retirement, right? <laughs> yeah. Especially in the French countryside. And one of the bottles I have with me is is from that. Uh, that's th- this lady that I met, this married couple. They have this farm, and they make all their ciders. and But they don't make – they don't do any distillation. They have this mobile distiller come in. And, like, I was telling Colton, I was texting while I was there. I kept calling this guy my handler because I meet this – Met this French guy named Etienne, and uh, he kind of drove us around a bit and took us to a creamery and whatnot, and some some producers. And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, that person just died who made this lady's." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, if you were here earlier, you could have been it, but I think they replaced the guy now." I'm like, "Damn it!" <laughs> I mean, obviously he was joking, but yeah, was that ex- was he though. That exists that people just go and they're like, "Oh," and. And her her cider and her her peri was it was fucking beautiful. It was like really delicious, like amazing. I looked at their press and I walked through everything and how they're like they want their tannins to develop and like their specific region how they make it compared to you know an hour and a half drive. And I think that really got me talking. I was you know talking to Alyssa while we were there and talking about gin, all these things that are specific to the region, and I'm like. Appalachian is such a thing over there, right? The wines are different. The apples are... The Calvados is different. There's three... You know, the three regions, them. And they're so drastically different in the product you get. Where do we have that over here in the States? Right? So I kind of wanted to talk about... You know, we can talk about France. You can talk about stuff I drank and eating the delicious chocolates. But I think talking about Appalachian, like... What does that mean for us? Do we have that? I mean, yeah, we definitely have it. We think of, you think of bourbon, and you think Kentucky versus Tennessee versus everything the else. Finger Lakes region, New York, <laughs> garbage, Ra- plate, right? garbage <laughs> plates. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're actually distilling a lovely garbage plate in Rochester. <laughs> it's, it's definitely got its own terroir. 
Yeah, you're saying that, but there aren't hard and fast rules with well, that. Tennessee so, there is. Right? Well, let's Tennessee let's be clear here. too. We're talking about two drastically different cultural ages. I mean, we're talking about what thousands of years versus a few hundred years. Not to mention, we had an entire you know industry completely crash because of a constitutional you know prohibition. So we've essentially had to restart a few generations ago. So it's really hard to build up that kind of, you know, cultural heritage around an industry like that. So I think we could get there. We're def- I think you're right. We're not even close to that in most areas. But there are a few places like Tennessee and Kentucky that have some of that. And it's arguable how about how close it is. But I don't think we're going to see anything quite like that for a while. And I well, might be and, wrong on that. And but. what I think of when I think of you know, American areas versus various areas in France. It's here. It seems like the the reason things are, you know, laid out is, is more for business and competition purposes where in France, it seems more just give you a general knowledge of, you know, they obviously have rules for competition, but give you a general knowledge of this is why, you know, this region of Calvados produces this type of of brandy spirit. Sure. Right? So I, it's not quite a, it's not quite so clear cut as like to me Tennessee whiskey is Tennessee whiskey because we don't want anyone else making it. Not because you know our flora is so specific and our limestone is so specific. But I think it comes into the same vein where to do that. So if you say like Tennessee and Kentucky, right? Those are pretty close, and there's that that. That makes Tennessee whiskey different is their process, right? Where I think I have this rough hypothesis where, you know, France is significantly smaller than our country, if you didn't know that. Um, so Thanks I'm educating listener. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like, but like, so a lot of the things that grow in France can grow in a lot of regions in France. So to differentiate themselves... They're like, well, we do it this way or we do it that way. And I think that is part of what you're saying, like Tennessee whiskey is compared to, you know, Kentucky bourbon whiskey. I mean, I'm just saying, so I'm like saying literally the size of it, right? So, you know, are you going to have a California style bourbon? No, I guess you have a New York style rye, though. Right. There's Empire rye. Well, yeah, and you but and I you have one of, the, one of the biggest differences, though, is for France, a lot of their products are, you know, farmed there locally, where a bourbon, Tennessee, Kentucky, they're not growing all of their corn and barley in that state, right? So they're importing a lot of their raw. Well, corn and and rye. Yeah, but not it's not filling up their entire year supply they're they're having to outsource right so it's i would i would think that would be a pretty large yeah i think that plays plays into it too yeah you know you brought a good point about you know empire rye and then you have monongahela rye right so there is there is that but it's not the same thing right and when people drink bordeaux right or or do you drink champagne or you drink fucking calvados right the whole reason that you say this Right, but there's you know there's three subsects of Calvados, right? So, yeah, and I didn't know that until just now. 
I thought there was just Calvados. How dare you teach us something? <laughs> yeah. There are. Well, so how... Did you observe how those are holding up in today's climate from a business and cultural aspect? Are they, are they doing well? Are they expanding? Are they staying hyper-regional? Are they starting to die off? What are we seeing in terms of what is this new world of internet, social media, you know, massive brands, massive brand, like what's happening? I believe it's hyper-regional, right? And I think that's right. kind of the way we're going. I fully, I do not see expansion. I mean, that place where I said they had the mobile distiller and it was the married couple, which was the favorite producer that I visited because one, I like their product a lot, but I mean, it was, I mean, the shop where she let me taste things and she could sell things out of was like as big as my room that I'm in right now. I mean, if somebody's rolling up with a still on a cart, it's hyper regional. Yeah. It's not going to be <laughs> <Yeah>. huge. <laughs> right. But like, I mean, that wasn't her gig. Like she makes the cider. She cares about the fruit, right? She does, uh, you know, a large portion of the work and the distiller. You know, yeah. They do that too. But uh, I, I mean, the other producers is the same way. It's like, these are our orchards. These are the types of apples we're growing. This is the way we're doing it. We have this set of trees here that we have these very specific Norman cows eating under. Like, It's hyper-specific, which I don't think that will ever be that because that's just not the way our country is. It's too vast in a way. Um, well, and I th I, again, I think it's very fruit-dominated type of production versus just you know people are making maryland rye in colorado and yeah they had a normandy whiskey but i could not find it like they called it a normandy whiskey because i mean like i said i spent about a week i spent like six days in the normandy region so i went to ka i spent most of my time in ka and then traveled out from there but like the producers are kind of in the middle of nowhere and then there's another city called bayou um that i spent time in too and but i ate mainly like normandy cheese and you know i ate and drank normandy and it was way different than obviously paris paris is kind of its own thing and we went down to the lyon right and lyon is a totally different thing and it's a city too so i i don't know like it, it just you can be in one area of France and the next area of France, and it's so drastically different, even more so than me being from Pittsburgh to Oregon, which I've done, right? And it's, and it's drastically a, different. <laughs> right, it is drastically different, but it's not as different as some of those. Like you're saying, it's all fruit-based. Yeah, but it's fruit-specific to their very local area. So to Brian, your point, I, I mean, I see that. And I, honestly, do we not see that happening here, too? To a certain extent, I see it happening with beer. Like you go to where certain beer is, right? Whether their ingredients are coming from their local area, it's that producer is making that beer there. That's right. True. I think it goes back to my point that in the United States, there's a bit more cross pollination because we're such a younger country, and there was a you know a lot of these things have been developed relatively recently in terms of you know historical timeline. So there's a lot more communication. You're talking about countries and cultures that by nature of how old they are were within their 
subset regions for hundreds of years really not traveling that far. And even though it's a really small country, they were kind of tied into their region and the regionality for a very long time. They weren't getting a lot of outside influences in what they were producing. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I think, think that helps really shape the history and the culture of what they're doing compared to us, which has so many more outside influences. All right, so do you think they are influenced? I guess I'm asking you this, and I was just there. Are they influenced by the next town over, the next producer over at all? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I think there's, but as you said, they are trying to, they were definitely trying to create their own regional identities. So I think maybe there's a resistance to that to a certain degree because of just local pride, tradition, tribalism, but definitely on a smaller scale though, compared to what we're looking at in the United States as an example, because we're asshole Americans and we have to look at everything through our own you know, prism. That's fair. Well, because we're the best and that's it. That's all I had. America. Yeah, that's it. Huh. Plastic. No, no wankers here. No wankers. <laughs> well. Yeah. I don't think any of us believe that. No. Yeah. <laughs> and our bread's shitty. Um, <laughs> I did. So in, back to, you know, this all kind of ties into. Yeah, but like, you know, I just, you guys didn't know that there were three different Calvados regions, right? There's like the general Calvados region, which can be a certain amount of pear mixed with the apple, but then it's made in like a Charentas, like a, you know, a double distillation, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the Pédoge is, is the region that's all apple, all double distillation. And then I can never remember the name of the third appellation. That's all right. Rob will tell us yeah. <laughs> next week. <laughs> We really do need to get Rob on here like once a month just to correct our bullshit. Yeah. Uh, Dom Fontaine, Dom Fontaine, Dom Fontaine. That's the other region, and they use at least thirty percent of pear, but mainly what I've learned is that they're usually more like sixty percent of their pears, um, and then that goes through a still. It's a single distill, but it has. It's like the Armagnac the, with column on top oh, and the yeah. reflux yeah. right back. Yeah. So it's a more, um, what do I want to say? Like industrialized. It's, it's, a, it's a lighter spirit, right? It's, a one, it's one distillation. So, so more, more palatable to more people. I, I get, less, less yeah, acquired. you could say that. Right, yeah. So, I mean, and those are like kind of the three very general. There's other stipulations and beyond those, but those big things, it's like, okay, can you add pear to it? And is it double distilled or is it single distilled? Let's just throw it down like that. And I didn't, honestly, full disclosure, I love Calvados. I love apple distillate. I did not know that either about the three subsects. And it was interesting to kind of travel through them and like okay you're making it like this and you definitely get a vibe of the people that have their own app they're making it one way they would never do it the other way (laughs) nice sure yeah sure did you notice any um any unique individuality with the production or say the fermentation process that really stood out kind of gave you some uh you know gave you some inspiration Sure, I, I, yeah, I mean, some guys had pear in their ferments. Yeah, right. There's that. 
pectin and tannin development. Um, so obviously, I mean, for so when you break down pectin, when Saccharomyces cerevisiae breaks down pectin, it leaves a methanol, a methyl group, right? So it creates methanol essentially. Um, which I've noticed, yeah, there's a there's a number of there's a amount of methanol that you can have in brandy that's like you know over the limit. But does it not feel Colton back me up on this too? That a lot of the French distillates, you're like, oh yeah, it, I don't want to say it's headsy, but yeah, right, they're kind of headsy, right? That's kind of what they do. A lot of what they do, but uh, some of their tannin development, whenever they they did something, so they they had this. They wash them a couple times and then they shred them and put them in like a bladder press, like what you guys have, Colton. They called it something different, but it was like the same exact press that you guys have. Oh, yeah, the Italian. The wine press, yeah. And, uh, but like when they, after they like finally shred the apples, they let that sit for a couple hours because they were like, oh no, it develops the tannins. And it's very pertinent that they let it sit at that stage after it's shredded before it's pressed. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I want to know more about it, but you know, there's a little bit of a language barrier between, you know, an American what do gorilla. You, mean? you speak Bayou French, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't speak any language well. Yeah. Um, and I felt like such an. I will say that I did feel like an asshole a lot of the time, because at least I felt bad about not speaking their language. And I, but I didn't assume that everyone spoke English, right? Yeah. I just found ways to communicate. I went to Awesome Chocolatier with this amazing Parisian lady, and I did not understand a word that she said. <laughs> and it was my favorite person that I met in all of France. She was amazing. She fed me these like chocolate-covered raisins that were probably the best things I've ever eaten in my life. Does uh, do the Calvados? regions do they have stipulations on barrel type and aging i mean i mean so it's great cognac has to be in french oak i don't think i I don't think it's hard hard and fast rules i think there's kind of some unwritten rules um the aging again i don't think it's hard and fast i think there's a little bit of an unwritten like it's what they do well, yeah, it would, I guess it would seem really weird if they focus so heavily on you know, tannin formation <coughs> on the front end and then totally ignored it on the, the back barrels. End. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean they didn't. They didn't tell me anything specific about the barrels, and they said these are wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, they don't make a point of it though. Not like you know, we're like bourbon is new American oak, right? Like, um. They don't they don't do it like that. And uh what I did find is like all of a lot of them are like forty one or forty two percent. Which is kinda odd, right? Like they're just slight like they're a little bit higher in percentage of alcohol. But yeah, there's not hard and fast rules like that, but there's like unwritten rules and it's kinda cool. What some of the stuff that I brought back, I can't wait. Brian, I wish you lived, you know, not in France, because you might as well live in France. <laughs> Spokane might as well be France. Uh, but like I brought all this stuff back, and I like because I wanted to. I mean, there's the places that I visited, and then 
there was like this is representative to a wide range of things and one of them i got is called it's like it's my like slutty american version of <laughs> of calvinus right God, you're and it's 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 from that uh yeah, thank you it's that it's from the region that uses you know a lot of pear which is fine but then what they did was they put it in a barrel and they took it out at it's a barrel strength and it's young it's like maybe six years which is young for that right usually they're they're going for eight years but uh and it definitely is significantly different i'm like this is like the americans take on what they're doing with calvados like here's what i have here's what i can make here's some oak i don't know it was interesting it's an interesting take on that region's particular type of calvados so. and then i have was i have all three regions by the way so so we'll do this episode again while tasting while tasting yeah that'll be if, exciting if there's anything everyone. left by uh, yeah. new orleans let's do that <clears throat> now did you go do they is there a uh calvados cream style much like the <laughs> bourbon cream you're drinking <laughs> please tell me that exists i assume that's just where they pour calvados on hard cheese <laughs> calvados cream that's it huh I had a joke there. I edited it. Yeah, we know. It for, we all knew for the what children. joke you had. Um, I mean, Calvados cream is Palmo, essentially, right? Like it's. Yeah, I mean, I did buy a Palmo too. I brought one back because the it was from that same that same tiny producer that I really liked, and she uses the lowest amount of sugar apples so it's the driest a palmo could be which a palmo by nature is just it's sugar water right it's <laughs> apple juice fortified by brandy or fortified by calvados so she does it with a, something that's a little less sweetness and has a little more of the uh, acidity to it and the tannin to it and it was far better than most of the other ones i had that were I mean, they're all good, but they're sweet, you know? That's good. I mean, Alyssa was fascinating. She just loved the ciders. They're all, and like, there's, they're beautiful. And there's such a range and there's a lot, there's funk too. They're not Basque ciders, which are like, I'm going to use this phrase again. And my buddy Bill was the one who first said this term to me. uh, Bootsy Collins in a diaper, which is like super funky, right? (laughs) Like... kind of nasty um they aren't like that but there is some there's a ton of characteristic on the center which is great because then you can kind of really see what that distillate is becoming too so i i think that was my biggest takeaway from that is like the regionality of it i'm like okay this turns into this turns into this it's great if i had my druthers i'd go back there during like harvest and then no one would want to fucking talk to me because they're like, hey, you know, we're busy like this small amount of time. Right. Yeah. So. This is the but only yeah. time we make money. <laughs> you mean they don't stop everything to talk to an American who just wanders into their operation? That's incredibly rude. Well, I was with a French guy, so that helped. Um, and I was sure to tell him, like, yeah, I'm a distiller. There's something like that. Uh, just so he was like, you know, I'm not, I am a total asshole. <laughs> 
Did you it ever, was great. Did you ever go back and, and check uh, words that you caught your guide saying to see if <laughs> he was really translating you correctly? No, I'm not smart enough to do that, Colton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's better not to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it was fine. But, I mean, to kind of tie it back into the whole Appalachian thing. and So, I mean, I, I would love to see... And I, I feel like that's the way it's kind of going, right? Like, you go to Montana to drink bourbon cream. You go, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> you heard it. You heard yeah. it here. <laughs> hey, Montana, you drink. You make a hundred percent of the bourbon cream that Zeno drinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'd like to see it though, but it's kind of tough because you know I'm not really. My vodka isn't really, you know. Again, I'm not growing barley in New Orleans. Um, but I am growing sugarcane. And I think there's something to say, like, that Louisiana rums should all be, have some kind of elements that define them, right? And I would like that, like, Tennessee has that whiskey, and Kentucky has bourbon, and everyone can make anything here but can they make it as good as the place that it really, that they're trying to copy? So like, do you have bourbons outside of Kentucky that you're like, Oh, this is a, as just as good as any Kentucky bourbon. I think there are. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I believe that there, there are too. Yeah. I believe that there are too, but I mean, are they making it the same way? And they're like, this is a Kentucky style bourbon. Hopefully not. I think, I think you're right. That's one of the benefits of, you know, this whole trend of hyper-localization is people are coming up with their own historical and cultural heritages that will hopefully kind of put a fingerprint on their region. And I love that. And I think that does make it really exciting for us, you know, who have this shitty job of having to try spirits from all around the world and all around the country. That, that's kind of awesome for us. So selfishly, I want more of that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and we're always looking for, we did a whole innovation episode. I think we did. That sounds something familiar about that, right? So, yeah, we're always... This is still episode, like, two, right? I, I lose fucking track. No, I just listened to the first seven minutes of the, the best episode I've ever heard of this podcast. Um, and they we were, like, at, like, 40-something or something like that. That's amazing. Good for us. It is and amazing. for you, listener, for sticking with us. Well, you and apparently, you don't know that. <laughs> I have no be, idea. If we could have one listener each week, that's totally different. <laughs> God, the idea that we have one listener who's been who's like managed to actually listen to more than one episode is just mind-boggling. So, well, it might yeah. just be our guests preparing. That's what Mike did. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Every time we get someone on the podcast, they have to go ahead and re- listen through, and that's where the majority of the downloads come from. So I want to throw this out there. I feel like to do Mark justice, we should talk about FET. <laughs> like, oh, we haven't talked about FAT, FET for an episode. I said FAT. You did yeah, say so FAT. That's what you get. That's what you get when I try and force it. Mark. That's what happens when you come back full of French cheese and bread. That's all you can yeah. think about is FAT. No, really, I ate like it's crazy. You eat way different when you're there. It's it's way better. Like I, I'm like, man, I could eat all this cheese and bread and probably lose weight here. Magical, because yeah, no, they eat was... it like once a day. 
Right. No, Mark was fantastic. It was so good to have someone actually well-versed in the information and not just muddling through these really important co concepts like I do. So it was pretty great. You should definitely listen to that episode, Zeno. You can give us another download. Uh, I, listened, I listened to seven <laughs> minutes of it. I think I did my due diligence. Yeah. <laughs> They yeah, Mark was great. Consecutive minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, my they really weren't. Yeah. My, my favorite part is where he like did this long drawn out like professor like thing where he like goaded us into like critiquing us for taking so long to getting him on the podcast. He's like, so how many episodes have you done? How many have been about FET? And how long has it taken you to get me on the podcast? I was like, oh, fucking Mark. <laughs> like, were you really like, like no one's knocking down, like kicking down our door, but like, let me on. Right, like, Mark, if you feel that adamant about it, I'll have you on again next week. Like, Absolutely. You can talk to you can talk to Brian and Colton some more. <laughs> We're going to talk exclusively about FET until it is renewed. Yeah. That's actually that might, a really good idea. Yeah. That, is, that is actually, yeah. that might push through FET yeah. so that people would be so, like, God, oh get them God. just off that fucking subject. I feel like we should have, like, uh, FET billboard on a school bus in New York. Yeah. Yes. Not uh, advertising alcohol. Nope. Loophole. Tax yeah. Loophole. And we've come full circle. Zeno, take us out. Do your thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's my favorite one ever. <laughs> oh, I hated it so much. Oh. Uh. <laughs> I wish that everyone could see the move that I did with it, which made it even worse. Oh, it was part of the feelings. Final thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, my, my final thought is that everyone should either move to France into one of the three wonderful Calados regions. Or write your state representative about getting FET reduction. <laughs> uh, continued. There's no middle ground. Either support <laughs> FET or yeah. get the fuck out of the yeah. country. <laughs> I I I, I want to say like uh, be inspired by what's local, and if you can do something with that, sure. Um, or if you can borrow from your neighbors, or if you're not going to do that, make it your own. Cause we kind of danced around it. Like we can have a bourbon outside of Kentucky that can be just as good, if not better than it could be its own style. Yeah. So I love that. And that's different from what France is doing, but it's also the same because, you know, they have these rules, but they use it to differentiate themselves and make it their own. And we just need to do that on a massively large scale because, you know, I can get grain from the Midwest in a snap. I snapped. I don't know if that's going to record, so I'm going to say I snapped. Um, also, uh, FET reduction is good, and we should talk about it more. And, I mean, seriously, it can't go away. or that No one can afford to have that go away. It's going to be real fucking bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Final thoughts. I really leaned into the plural part. Well, that's the Frenchman in you. <laughs>
final thought. Get out of your bubble. Do some research. Meet people. Don't be stuck in America. There you go.